Welcome back to Resident Skeptics. We have with us Jordan across from me here. As, Who else would it be? <laughs> I mean, it could be could be a different Jordan. Unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> but we are back to go over the Federalist Papers. Uh, today's episode will be focusing on the chapters between 1 and 10, or rather the letters between 1 and 10. Um, how are you feeling getting through this reading so far, Jordan? Um, you know, it's been, it's been pretty good. It's really, it's really thick. It feels thick. They are pretty, I'd say like, it's not super long. Like you, the, each letter each, is, yeah, each letter is, is fairly short, to read. page, maybe page. If you're, t I guess it depends on what you mean by page front and back. Front I, I would back. say that's about the max that they are. If you're just talking about the front yeah. side of the page, then maybe you get to a second, but that's about yeah. it. Yeah, no, each of them are about like, I'd say they're about in like the 2,000 words-ish, probably more, um, but it's been, it's been pretty good. Um, there's a lot, I learned a lot, feel like I'm still learning a lot, um, but to kind of get us started off with a little bit of back, we already did some backstory, I'm not going to do too too much i promise i'm trying to keep these episodes a little bit more short a bit more fun um not that longer isn't fun but you know something a bit shorter so one thing that's really important to understand here is that the constitution had to be ratified by nine states there's 13 states at the time Correct. all right so this is important to remember however even though they need nine states they need the bigger states on board at this point it was virginia pennsylvania new york and massachusetts uh, so they had to convince typically these states to get on board with this. That's why typically most of them are are said, hey, to the people, <laughs> to the people of New York. Right. <laughs> um, they really want to make sure that these people are on board with this. There was opposition, uh, which we have the Anti-Federalist Papers. Um, but we have James Madison, Alexander Hamilton and John Jay doing these letters Typically, most of these were written on the fly. I've actually heard that, like, they would be going through, like, the printer while they're still writing it. <laughs> so imagine someone what? using, so imagine someone, like, using a blanket and they're still knitting it and you're, like, you're using it still, but they're still, like, wait, I just gotta keep knitting it together. That's, that's what I've heard. Uh, so these two, for these men to go through this uh, and to write these, again, very intelligent men, not only are they very intelligent, but they made they made the system. So they understand the system really well and they mm -hmm. understand why they want it there. Um, so with that being said, um, let's go ahead and jump in. We're not going to get into like every single. Yeah, no, we'll pick out some uh, some quotes and concepts. Uh, we already did a bit of a rundown of the history of uh, what led up to the Federalist Papers. You can check that out on the last uh, episode that we had for our book club series. Right. Um, I mean, we can start. So uh, Alexander Hamilton's going to be the first, uh, is going to be the number one uh, to just start this off. Yeah. Um, can I actually interrupt one second? Yeah. There's one more thing that I think is important because one thing that I got very confused about with, with reading these letters um, is that there's this idea of federalism yes. and republicanism. Now, for the modern person, when they hear Republican, they think Trump supporter. This is not at all what they mean. All right. So obviously Trump wasn't even around that point. But the idea of federalism uh, is a word to describe the Constitution's system of dividing political power between uh, national government and the states. OK, so mm -hmm. that's when we say we have the federal government. The federal government is kind of like the shield of all the states. Kind of think of it like that. Um, they they kind of give us that power. Now, there's also republicanism, um, which is and I, I think I got this um 
I got this from a really good site that explained it very well, um, is a theory of government that emphasizes the participation of citizens for the common good of the community. The responsibilities and duties of citizens are paramount and the exemplary citizen readily subordinates personal to, to public interest. So basically it's the idea of federalism and republicanism working together mm-hmm. where we have these states being controlled by the people, but with the power of a federal government protecting us together as one unified um, as one unified um, country. Uh, so it's kind of figuring out how to balance these two together and basically saying having the power of like a monarchy with the power still given uh, to the people. That's idea of combining federalism and republicanism. From what I understand with the anti-federalist papers, they're basically saying that this was not going to work and they were giving some different reasons. Haven't read the anti-federalist papers, but I think that's something really, really important to understand. Um, And I think Will uh, Morrissey, he's a professor at Hillsdale. um, He basically says that federalism sets up political societies that are small enough for self-government, but large enough for their federation and constitutional union for life and liberty. And that is precisely correct. Having the power still with the states and the people, but also giving us the constitution and the power to protect union for our life and our liberty and our pursuit of happiness. So with that being said, want to make that a very important thing to talk about. Go ahead. I think it's an important distinction to make. Um, And republicanism sounds, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. It sounded a little bit like socialism. Um, so... If I heard not, you right, it sounded like it sounded like giving up your own interests uh, for the betterment of, we'll say, the public. Sure. I mean, I think the biggest difference that you're going to see with republicanism and socialism is that socialism doesn't actually work for the good of the whole. You can't pursue happiness with socialism. Uh, you don't Fair. have liberty with socialism um, because why? Because the government is forcing you um, to kind of give away most of your income for all the types of equality. Republicanism says, hey, let's look at the interest of the people as a whole. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we give handouts. Uh, right? If the government's forcing, wouldn't that be communism at that point? If the government is forcing what? If they're forcing you to give up your your time, your money, your your taxes, your whatever you might produce. That sounds more like communism at that point. I've always combined communism and socialism because I think that they both lead to the same thing. And uh, they're kind of the same. So yeah, I, I think like I think that. the intent of the people is the is the difference is that socialism would be something where everybody mutually agrees to do it. Uh, communism is where it get whereas socialism is just forced. That was yeah. that was Russia. Yeah. No, socialism like comes from the government forcing you to do it you don't have the freedom yeah i think we're gonna go back and forth on that <laughs> yeah i think you and i have different definitions maybe we, ought to we might it up one day but that's how i've always seen it that's the way i've always understood it so i mean there, ha- there has to be different terms for a reason so you can't really combine the two of them i just always say that they kind of lead into one another they're they, very similar that they I, I, intru- that they kind of intra uh what's intersect with intersect with one another um that's why evolve. i've always kind of I, I would definitely say that socialism would evolve into communism eventually. i think that's fair okay i'll give you that agreed you go ahead i don't okay. want to get too far into it because we could <laughs> it's do a that. it's a topic for another day yes but yeah no we've that's something we've we've kind of clashed on a couple of things uh, a couple times but you might be right i just might be completely misunderstanding and i, don't know. I could have a wrong concept of it too <laughs> Never know. who knows um but alexander hamilton starts it off and just a, a couple of things uh to note here so he's really imploring his readers um that they need to work out a new constitution for the united states and that they need to create a union and centralize the power 
um, but they want to do it in a specific way that still still gives like the people and the states uh, some semblance of power. It doesn't make them completely at the mercy of the governing authority, which is what they just ran away from right. uh, over in Europe. Yeah, and honestly, go ahead and read that first paragraph, because I, ha- I think Hamilton actually puts it in a very understandable way, um, unless if you don't have it up right with you, I can read it too. But uh, I can get to it quick if I don't flip past the uh, beginning of my Jeez, book. Jeez, Connor. Yeah, Jeez. I know, right? This one's a very compact. <laughs> yeah, you have like a... At one point, I remember like, I don't need the book. I'm not going to get the book. And then I literally get a picture. It's like, oh, look, Connor has the book. <laughs> so the reason I ended up getting it was because I can take it with me uh, pretty much wherever I go. I could do sure, it on my phone yeah. as well. But the thing is, is that I'm going to be using my phone. Like, I have to take notes while I read by like every one to three paragraphs, depending on how different those paragraphs get. Otherwise, I don't remember what I just read. Um... So that's where reading it on the computer makes sense for me because I can have one screen open reading and the other one just taking notes uh, and going back and forth. But in this case, I was like, okay, I need a book because a book just is something else that can live around with me or I can place it around the house. I'll run into it. I'll sit down. I'll read one or two and uh, take some notes and move on. Um, But you want to go through the first paragraph that he has. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Yeah, I'm curious if that's... No, I think this quote came later in the book. All right. After an unequivocal experience of the inefficacy of the, the subsisting federal government, you are called upon to deliberate on a new constitution for the United States of America. The subject speaks its own importance, comprehending in its consequences nothing less than the existence of the union, the safety and welfare of the parts which it is composed, the fate of an empire, and in many respects, the most interesting in the world. It has been frequently remarked that it seems to have been reserved to the people of this country by their conduct and example to decide the important question whether societies of men are really capable or not of establishing good government from reflection and choice, or whether they are forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. If there be any truth in the remark, the crisis at which we arrived may with proprietary propriety be regarded as the era in which that decision is to be made and a wrong election of the part we shall act may in this view deserve to be considered as the general misfortune of mankind. Yeah. So Hamilton, uh, he states his intent um, pretty clearly um, the existence of the union, mm-hmm. the safety and welfare of the parts of which it's been com- composed, the fate of an empire in many respects, the most interesting in the world. So that really, it, he says it pretty straight up. This is what he's trying to do. And the first letter kind of goes through and explains a little bit of that. Um, is I assume you have a, a couple notes on it, Connor. Uh, yeah, I had I had one other statement from his uh, during that first letter that I thought really stood out. Um, so he's proposing that, uh, quote, the utility of the union to your political prosperity, the insufficiency of the present confederation to preserve that union, the necessity of a government at least equally energetic with the one proposed to the attainment of this object, the conformity of the proposed constitution to the true principles of Republican government, its analogy to your own state constitution, and lastly, the additional security which its adoption will afford to the preservation of that species of government, to liberty and to to property. Yep, and that speaks exactly about the balance of republicanism 
and federalism. That exact mm-hmm. statement g- talks exactly about those two things. So that is our first letter. Oh, I don't know if we're going to get through all of these. <laughs> uh, we'll see how many we can get through. And if we can't get through all of them, it's okay. Um, well, I can certainly, if it helps you uh, with a brief history detour, I can sum up a lot of John Jay's uh, letters because he has a very uh, central and recurring theme throughout all of them that I think we can we can condense pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think his, is it his two, is it letter two to four? Yes. Yeah. Are, I, does he do five actually? Um, I don't think so because I thought he, that's when. Nope. He does five as well. Oh, he does. I okay. think it's after five that uh, that he drops out. Okay. Because he said it was because he got sick, right? Yeah. Um. He does. He. I'm trying to remember if he stays on the same topic. Um. Through all of them, but pretty, I think he does. Pretty much. Yeah, so he basically stays on the same topic. Um, His letters, John Jay, he says, concerning dangers from foreign force um, and influence, he's basically arguing against the idea of making us into separate confederacies, 13 confederacies, or was it 13 13 13 colonies, keeping it the way it is, or switching into three to four confederacies is apparently what... From what I've gathered from what he's talking about, those were the potential plans. There might be more plans for that in the Anti-Federalist Papers, but we will have to find out. Yeah, and he says in here, and I quote, This country and this people seem to have been made for each other, and it appears as if as if it was the design of providence that inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren united to each other by strongest ties should never be split into a number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sovereignties. So basically, something that I caught on from that, he was like, listen, if you split us up into different into different um, confederacies or, or different states, whatever, one, we're not going to be as strong together. But two, if we have a foreign enemy come in, they can actually turn us against each other. If they're unfriendly yes. with one um, of the colonies, they can turn one of the colonies, turn them against that other colony. And before you know it, they've become, as he says, a number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sovereignties. Um, mm-hmm. Seems pretty straightforward to me. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Strength in numbers. You know, that's that was kind of... Out of all that I read, I was like, oh, yeah, this this makes sense to me. Yeah, that is that's definitely his central and recurring theme uh, throughout his letters. And he makes more points than just saying, you know, if uh, if an external interest uh, or if a foreign interest makes its way and, you know, let's say it it friends Rhode Island, but then it's not being so kind to the colonies down in Florida or something mm-hmm, like that. Right. Um, because maybe one of them has a resource to trade or maybe the other one's willing to form an alliance and backstab their neighbors. Um, it wasn't just uh, foreign interests that could be a potential problem. It was also infighting amongst themselves. Um, and then it was also uh, any type of wars or battles that would have been fought uh, because one of the states acted of its own accord, screwed relationships up with somebody else. Like at this point, they had kind of a treaty with Britain and it was uh, fairly tense at that point because you're following Boston Tea Party. Um, and then you're also following the... Uh, what are they all? The coercive acts, also known as the intolerable acts. Um, so all of these things are coming after the fact. Uh, so that whatever type of peace treaty they had with Britain at the point is like, this is pretty tense. And he even mentions it a couple of times. Like if one of us was to act out of line in such a way that it would cause a danger to the rest of us, that is also a problem. Right. Um, Correct. And I think he, he makes good points there. So there's, there's three primary scenarios that he's trying to avoid. And that is, one, foreign interests coming in and, you know, and stirring things up. 
uh, plotting uh, the different states or the different confederacies against each other. Um, confederacy infighting or colony infighting, and then also uh, colonies or confederate confederacies starting fights and causing problems for their neighbors. Um, and then them just kind of being their own individual power. Right. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up incredibly well. I mean, he, he kind of, sometimes it kind of feels like he's going on and on and on. And you're just like, <laughs> I feel like this is kind of like the same thing. It's like, like John, John, we get it, John, we get it. We totally understand. Um, yeah, I but, keep waiting for him to go a little bit further and like, but not only the safety and security <laughs> through a unionizing of, of all of these um, I mean, he also he also makes the point. It's like, look, it, it, that's a bigger force to be messed with. Um, that that's more imposing. That's more security. So his primary focus seems to be the peace and safety of the people. And it's like, if you want peace and safety, this is the best way to do it because chances are wars are going to have to be decided amongst are going to have to be decided by everybody and not just individual states. That's what he's worried about. Is it an individual confederacy? could have gotten them and everybody else around them into a war. And you remember, they're coming out of Europe, which is a, well, it's, it's one of the continents and it's got, it's made up of multiple countries. And most of their countries are around the size of some of our states. Mm-hmm. It is not very big. So he, they already know what that kind of looks like. Um, and he even makes reference. Um, I'm skipping to a different history thing uh in here but even makes reference uh towards the end of the third one about the state of genoa and how the state of genoa had offended uh the king of france louis the 14th um i don't know why roman numerals are just so easy for me to still read but (laughs) hey something from school stuck um so and i went and looked up i looked into this and and we'll have we'll have sources posted um but basically what ended up happening was there was some fighting between spain and france who were two of the big powers are the US, spain france and britain those were like the three superpowers in the world at that time um and france was gaining the upper hand and uh the state of genoa at the time was a port city so they deal with ships and spain ordered four galilean ships from them well, the king of France took offense to that and then bombarded uh, Genoa with uh, artillery shells, basically, from their ships. And then uh, Genoa had to send their chief magistrate and four senators to go appease the king and then ask for his pardon and receive whatever his terms of surrender or whatever his peace treaty was. And what John Jay basically makes a point is he says, um, or the, the basic argument is that if Genoa had been, you know, as grand as Spain or Britain, would they have been humiliated and treated in such a way? Hmm. Um, and I think he makes a fairly good point there. Um, you know, they, they, they were a pushover country. And I think that's essentially what he was trying to stop uh, in his arguments here. Um, something that I did find interesting is that in his argument for how to keep the different confederacies uh, like accountable to each other. He's, he's appealing a bit to the nature of people. And he stated that um, the pride of states as well as of men naturally disposes them to justify all of their actions and opposes their acknowledging, correcting, or repairing their errors and offenses. He is he's quite literally... <laughs> sorry. He's quite literally <laughs> taking advantage of people's pride, essentially. And that they don't want to admit that they screwed up or that they're wrong and that that yeah. will play some form of accountability uh, amongst their peers. 
Um, yeah. So I want to say, have you, did you recognize that part in it or, or do you have any thoughts on it? No, I didn't really recognize that part as much, um, but it but it makes a lot of sense because the founding fathers they were they're pretty honest about um, human about human nature uh, in itself. They were honest that that men. I, I think they said it. I don't remember <laughs> if it was Federalist Fifty. Um, we're talking about that. You know, men aren't angels. If they were angels, they wouldn't need anyone to govern them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the founding fathers had a very good understanding of human nature. And so for them to play on these things would be of no surprise to me as because they're trying to create a government that serves the interest of, of the people um, in the best way that they, they could to secure their liberty and their freedom. And with the understanding that this had really never been done before. So yeah, no, no they, they were looking at doing something quite extraordinary. I mean, even uh, even Hamilton opened that up talking about and just like this is this is extremely interesting <laughs> what we are about to uh what we're about to attempt here right um and it's it is probably one of the greatest experiments uh, we've ever seen and it's it's worked thus far <laughs> um as, as i've said before um I, I don't know how long it will last but these people definitely had a good idea of what they were about what they were talking about and what they were trying to achieve and to have an understanding it's one thing to have an understanding of human nature from like a person to person. It's another thing to have an understanding of human nature and how it f- affects the world as a whole of how different countries will interact with each other. Right. Um, to me, that's really, really fascinating. Uh, so they definitely knew what they were talking about. Um, and a lot of what they're saying makes sense. And with the history backed up behind it, it makes even more sense. And they had a lot of examples of countries um, and empires and monarchies to look at for an example of what to do and what not to do. (laughs) Um, So John Jay does a really great job going through that. Um, He goes through the same, he goes to the same topic again um, in letter number five. And then we make it to the idea of concerning uh, dangers from dissensions between the states um, with good old Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, before we push over to Hamilton, though, there was a bit of a history. Of this. So I mentioned the Intolerable Acts and the Coercive Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled up what all of those are and then and then came up with a timeline for it. Um, this is essentially, this is after the Boston Tea Party. Um, the Boston Port Act may 20th 1774 so this is this is the british crown that's doing this um they the in this this act that they went ahead and they, they had a particular term for it it basically was putting the royal stamp of approval on it but the act authorized the royal navy to blockade boston harbor because the commerce of his majesty's subjects cannot be safely carried on there um that was the first one that they did on that same day they also passed the massachusetts Government Act. Mm-hmm. And this act imperiled uh, representative government in the colony by assuming Massachusetts was under mob rule. And Parliament appointed a royal governing governor in place of the elected body. So basically Britain just kind of swiping in and is like, yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna take over this. Also on the same day, the Administration of Justice Act. Same day uh, as the Government Act, also as the Port Acts. This is all on May 20th and 74. Uh, This law sought to further increase the power of the governor by giving him the ability to move a trial to another colony or to Great Britain if it was decided that an indifferent trial cannot be had within the said province. Um, The act also eliminated the right to a fair trial by one's peers and that removed an established judicial principle dating to Magna Carta. All of this followed up on June 2nd, 
which was the quartering act. And this is one that actually I found out that I had some uh, misconceptions about too. Um, this act, uh, the only act of the four to apply to all the colonies. So the other were all specifically to Boston, basically. But this one applied to everybody. Um, it allowed high-ranking military officials to demand better accommodations for troops and to refuse inconvenient locations for quarters. However, the act did not require colonists to house soldiers within their private homes, as it's commonly believed. Rather, it specifically showed that soldiers were to be housed in uninhabited houses, outhouses, barns, or other buildings. Yet, they were to be quartered at the colonists' expense. So you didn't have to bring them into your your home, or at least that's, that was not... Uh, what the act in, um, insisted you do. Uh, however, I imagine that it is possible that soldiers did still force their way into people's homes. But even if they didn't, uh, you were still, and it was still on your dime and your time to make sure that they were taken care of. And the time frame of this is even more ridiculous because the bill was passed for the course of X was passed on March 31st. Um, and then 50 days later on May 20th is when the first three were done. And then you move another month uh, forward. And on June 1st, you get the blockade of Boston Harbor. So they show up, they blockade the harbor. The the acts are taking uh, control of the trade. And then on June 2nd is when the fourth act came in that you would have to harbor soldiers. All of that within like 60, 65 days, basically. Oh, wow. Uh, so this, this is the time that a lot of these uh, Federalist Papers are being written. Um, and I found that interesting just to see how quickly things were getting shut down. Boston Harbor being like the main port at the time. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. It's always interesting when you add a little bit of history and context of what was, uh, what was going on. So mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah. So when they were, when they were referring, when John, uh, Jay was referring to some of, uh, how, how tense that treaty was with Britain, it's because they're dealing with this. Yeah, no, he, he had some meaning for that tenseness. Yes. Um, but we talked a little bit about um, human nature and with letter number six, um, Alexander Hamilton very much taps into this. You kind of see even in the first couple pages, um, he really does talk about uh, man's desires. He says, uh, quote, a man must be far gone in utopian speculations who can seriously doubt that if these states should either be wholly disunited or only united in partial confederacies, the subdivisions in which they might be thrown would have frequent and violent contests with each other. To presume a want of motives for such contests as an argument against their existence would be to forget that men are ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. To look for a continuation of harmony between a number of independent, unconnected sovereignties situated in the same neighborhood <laughs> would be to disregard the uniform cause of human events and to set at defiance the accumulated experience <laughs> of ages. So, and he continues on. Um, he continues on to talk about this, but that is, he does a great job summing things up in like a very, very short paragraph. You can read mm -hmm. the entire thing. Um, it's really good. But again, we talked about understanding the nature of man and they said listen you might want to be in some separate <laughs> confederacies it just ain't gonna work <laughs> okay i'm just gonna tell you that this is what man does this is what's gonna happen and it's not worth doing it um he does talk about um the love of power or the desire of preeminence and dominion the jealousy of power or the desire of equality and safety he talks about how these desires are prevalent and how if you have 
all these states trying to harmoniously live together but as separate sovereignties they are going to eventually want to overtake one another and fight and quarrel with each other it just again it just kind of makes sense he's appealing to human nature yeah no that that hits it right on the head unfortunately despite their concerns and their best efforts we still have greedy narcissistic (laughs) people at the top and they do understand this um which is interesting um so number seven also talks about this um and then number eight talks about the hostility uh, between states. Um, but one of the things I found really interesting, I'm skipping all the way to 10, um, <laughs> because honestly, you know, you really got to read these for yourself. They're great. I think we're summing up a lot of the main ideas, though, um, pretty well. But the thing, it wasn't 10. Hang on. <sighs> Which one was I looking at? Okay, yes, it's number nine, and then number 10 continues it. Uh, Number nine is written by Alexander Hamilton, and then number 10 is written by James Madison. Um, So, fun fact there. Um, But one of the things I thought was interesting, um, the Union as a safeguard against domestic faction and insurrection. Okay, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I wasn't like one hundred for sure percent sure like um what that meant. Um and so <laughs> for um I'm actually trying to find the exact definition of faction because I think that'll be better than me saying it and then I'll explain it um in this context. Faction definition. Yeah, I would take faction to be like a group. Okay. Yep. It is a group, but I want to be more specific. A small organized dissenting group within a larger one, especially in politics. And so basically what this letter kind of talks about um, in very basic five-year-old terms, because that's the best way that I understand things, um, (laughs) is that there's always going to be a majority faction that's trying to take over. Now, the question isn't... Wait, if they're majority, they've already taken over then. Well, from what I, because I, I, from what I know, because I was doing some research on it, it can be some kind of majority faction. <coughs> I don't know one hundred percent what that means. To be honest, I'm still trying to learn about it. But the idea of a faction or an insurrection—we've heard that <laughs> word a ton of times—is um, that a faction uh, and an insurrection that these are always going to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, to a certain extent, I actually think majority is correct. The reason why we're not a pure democracy is that the founder, the founding fathers understood that a pure democracy wouldn't work because of mob rule, right? Um, that's why we have a certain amount of representation according to the population in states. Right, um, and their concern there was that basically the stupid people would get to the top. Yeah, and, and essentially... Or the people with ill motives. Yes. Which again... Still feels like they got there. <laughs> I know, I know. It's again, you know mankind can only be tamed so much but but alexander hamilton understood uh that this was something that was going to happen the question is what do you do with it um and hamilton essentially along with madison makes the case that a union can help with that and i would go as far to say he might have talked about it in here as well um that having the checks and balances and the (laughs) system set up for how we uh elect people uh can help with some of those things to make sure that you don't have one group being a huge mob that takes over Mm -hmm. so that's kind of in basics um that was probably the more confusing ones to try to read to be honest um 
you really got it. Those ones I felt like I had to take my time with more because I understood the idea of it was a much simpler idea to understand like union and why you'd want to keep them together. Right. But typically in regards to like using words like domestic faction and insurrection, like, okay, what what does that look like? I've heard that January 6th was an insurrection. Uh, <laughs> and after reading a bit more, I've determined that um, this was it has to be a majority faction. I think it was correct on that majority faction. Um, the January 6th was not a majority. <laughs> it was a very small group of people. Yeah, and even um, that and group of people, you can just you can divide it more by people who got there with malintent and people who dumbly wandered into the building. Right. Um, yeah. So definitions matter. Um, but these were these number 10. I have to be honest. It was really hard to get through. That was really hard for me. I think that was like the <laughs> last one I was trying to get done. And I was like, uh, my brain saved me. My brain's out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much gone. Um, but a helpful resource for you guys too that I found that was really good to help me understand some of this stuff was Hillsdale College. They do some really great free courses online that each lesson is like 20, 30 minutes long. Um, they do some stuff on literature. They do some stuff on philosophy, American history, and even uh, biblical courses as well. They did a really great job breaking down some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, I recommend that you read this for yourself because those uh, lectures were far richer having read the material beforehand. So Certainly. Um, and um, I think it seems like we're coming up uh, to the end here. So I had one other quote that I pulled out uh, from John Jay. Um, and he said that they who promote the idea of substituting a number of distinct confederacies in the room of the plan of the convention seem clearly to foresee that the rejection of it would put the continuance of the union at the utmost jeopardy. That certainly would be the case, and I sincerely wish that it may be as clearly foreseen by every good citizen that whenever the disillusion of the union arrives, America will have reason to exclaim, in the words of the poet, uh, Thomas Wolsey, by the way, farewell, a long farewell to all my greatness. And that rang true to me since it's become very prevalent in the last uh, year or two of a great divorce and that America is looking to split up. So it's really interesting reading these men's uh, writings on why we should come together while the country is like, we're done, get us apart. I don't want to be with these people anymore. We are just that different. Time to split up. And we have to go back to the idea of liberty. Uh, if people don't understand that liberty matters, we have people that believe that other people should be silenced and that they shouldn't be heard. Um, we have to get back to those core principles or we will break up um, and it will be it will not be a pretty uh, divorce. But the good news is we are still here again next week. Um, We're really excited. This has been super fun. Um, There's been a lot of uh, great history here, and it's just been really great to read it and actually understand um, our country a little bit better and what it was founded on. Um, If you're you're enjoying this, let us know, and we will be doing um, papers 10 through 20. The next 11 time, eleven through meet. twenty. Eleven through twenty. Yeah, this okay. was one through ten. I I know. I was just like, maybe I want to touch on ten again. I was like, I want right. to give ten. We can we can we can give ten. We can give ten another shot. All right, I want to give ten another try. Um, so please read along with us. Um, we would really appreciate it. And also, you'll probably enjoy it more, or you'll be like, no, that's wrong, and then you can tell us. And yeah, definitely like, oh. tell us if we got something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's it for now. Um, we've enjoyed this. Talk to you guys later.